What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sodnikar. Thank you for listening. With me is longtime friend and sometimes favorite Mikoski brother, Craig Mikoski. <laughs> Good morning, sometimes. Craig. Sometimes. Good morning. <laughs> so Craig is the head brewer at Cellus down in Austin. He's a graduate of the Siebel Institute has a degree from the World Brewing Academy, six GABF, Great American Beer Fest medals, and then one World Beer Cup medal. And uh, confirm that that is the competition where you do fight to the death with other brewers. So with that, congratulations, yeah. Craig, and, and welcome. <laughs> Thanks for making the time. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking about our conversation last night. I was at a brewery, and I just wanted to ask, what's the biggest myth or misconception about beer or brewing beer that you seem to come across in your day-to-day life? Mm, well, yeah, it's kind of evolved over the past um, couple of years as far as what the perception is of, I, I think, uh, actually the people that are, that are making the beer. I think uh, um, a lot of people see me and they go, you're not, you can't be in the craft industry you you uh you're not smelling and you don't have a beard <laughs> so you know there's this 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 uh i think thought and feeling that there's this you know this guy that just he just is in the brewery all day and doesn't have time to take a shower and uh or shave and uh, and that's just the look um so I'm I'm a little bit more clean cut than that. You you can't actually make good beer without facial hair. <laughs> I think I see your next label coming out. <laughs> There's definitely a marketing aspect to that. Mm-hmm. I see that in the bike industry. There's definitely uh, like that sounds kind of like on the mountain bike side. There's a lot of beards and you know things like that. So yeah, it, it's funny that. Yeah that question, you answered it with nothing really to do with beer, but just sort of who you are as a person. <laughs> <laughs> so what beer, uh, won at the world beer cup, what style of beer was that? Yeah. Um, and that, that's a, that's an interesting competition. So world beer, great American beer festival. I mean, you're, it's a huge, huge competition. It's, it's, uh, you know, World Beer Cup and GABF are, are top two competitions up there. But the GABF, I mean, that's just U.S. breweries when they're in World Beer Cup. I mean, it, it's really cool getting to watch not not only U.S. breweries go up on stage, but you also got your German breweries, uh, English breweries, and, uh, and New Zealand, Australia, all over the world. So um, uh, this was four years ago in Denver, um, at the world beer cup. And we won a medal for the English style IPA, uh, which is really cool. Anytime you win uh, any big competition in the IPA category, uh, it's a really big deal because there's so many out there. Um, so it was our uh, storm cloud IPA. So is an IPA sort of how a, a brewery of any size is judged? Is that, is it real because it's complicated or because people like it? Um, 
It's just that, yeah, I mean, every brewery has an IPA out there. Um, you just kind of have to, to survive in this market right now. If you look at the statistics um, for the past, uh, I'd say, uh, somewhere around 10 years now, uh, the IPA category is the fastest fastest growing um, segment by far. There, there were some years when IPA in the market was growing at a rate of like 40% a year. Um, so when you see those numbers, business-wise, you're going to um, be drawn to that. And I mean, brewers, uh, they just like hops. I mean, there's so many new varieties coming out. There's so many, so many different ways that you can use them. They're just going to keep coming out and, and popularity is, I don't think going to slow. I mean, at some point it's, there's not going to be the growth that IPAs have had in the past. It's because you reach kind of that saturation point in the market, but there's uh, there's always new styles of IPA coming out where, whereas five years ago, everything was, clear West Coast IPA and now you have all these milkshake looking hazy IPAs come on the market. Um, so I, I think consumers judge breweries by, by their IPA just because there are so many out there. And if you don't want IPA, you're, you're probably going to be lost in the, in the business sense of the market. Hmm. So you're coming home from work on a, a Friday night and you open up the fridge. What's the, what's the beer that you would always want to have waiting for you? Not necessarily a particular brewery, but like a style. Yeah. For me, it's, it's usually a, uh, just a well-made lager, um, something clean. Um, you know, when you're around beer all day, there's all the, you know, big smells of big hops and lots of malt going on. It's almost sensory overload at that point. So it's just kind of, you want to, you want to come home to something that's, that's good, but also not, you know, massive, big flavors, something that's pretty easy drinking. I would agree with you. I mean, I think, uh, lagers and pilsners, at least for me, when craft beer started exploding, got a a bad rap from sort of the, the, Mm -hmm mass market breweries. And I've come to yeah. find that I'll actually buy a six pack of a, a craft brewers, Pilsner or lager simply because I like it a little bit better done than what's out there. And not to bag on those guys. Like I have no problem mm-hmm. with a Coors or a Bud or Chilada. I get a lot of shit for drinking Chiladas. Yeah. You know, actually like Coors original is I, yeah. I think one of the best lagers out there. It's, it's really, really good. I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so let's go back. So what was your, what's your beer journey? How did you get into this? Was it something that you always had a passion for or like most people did you stumble into it? Cause I don't even know the story. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely since stumbling into it and then, um, and then develop a passion. I mean, you know, with, with a lot of jobs with, with kids growing up, I mean, it's, it's, um, they might have something they really gravitate toward, but you know, alcohol industry, you really, really don't gravitate toward it. And unless, unless, you know, your family has been, in, been involved in the business for a long time. And then, you know, it's just kind of a, a heritage thing at that point. But, you know, I didn't have that. Um, I was always really into to food, different food, trying new things. So, in that way, I think I always had some kind of a passion for just for, um, um, didn't drink. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was, uh, uh, I think the first time I really got into it though, was, uh, I was doing study abroad in New Zealand, uh, my, uh, second semester of sophomore year. 
And the great thing about New Zealand, uh, somebody uh, that age was uh, and, you know, everywhere else in the world uh, outside the U.S. at the, the drinking age was lower. Drinking age was 19. Um, it wasn't you know, Europe where you could just walk in and, and you could be 15 and not on card you, but they card you. <laughs> so they were 19. And uh, I walk into a brewery on the uh, the west coast of New Zealand called Mont East. Um, and it's been there for a long time. And I walked in and you could, you, they took you on the catwalk above all the fermenters. They're open fermenters. You could look right down in them and see the beer fermenting. And then afterward, I went to the tap room and, and they, they didn't have anything crazy. They had, uh, and this was, this was, before kind of the U.S. really, um, um, uh, I guess, not infiltrate, what, what's the word I'm looking for, that uh, inspired, you know, the rest of the world with all the IPAs and stuff. Expand uh, so or whatever. They had like a, they had a red ale, black lager, uh, nothing too out there. But I had this stuff and I'm just like, wow, I didn't know beer could taste like this, you know, all these different things. And, um, and for for the rest of the time I was down there, I was, I was trying a couple of different things. There weren't a lot of, uh, how we take craft, you know, craft breweries. There, there were probably, you know, five or six breweries down there that were doing something different than just mainstream lager. Um, so I was kind of disappointed though, after leaving New Zealand, coming back to the U.S. And my thought was, oh, hey, it's just a bunch of, uh, a bunch of light lager. I'm, I'm not going to have any of this good beer anymore. And I was kind of disappointed, <laughs> not knowing, you know, this was, this was in 2005, uh, not knowing that there was, you know, there was definitely a lot of craft breweries coming up. You just don't know about them when you're, when you're underage. Um, so when I got back, that's right about when I turned 21. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, obviously I, I went into some, a little bit better than what you bars in freshman year. <laughs> <laughs> no pitchers and no no yeah. drown night <laughs> right yeah and so there was a brewery that was just starting up in athens at the time they didn't actually have a, a facility at the, point, at the time they were a contract brewing um uh, their name's terrapin they're actually a really big brewery now uh they're they um, got bought um i think they're a little over 50 percent owned now by miller coors so big regional brewery in Georgia. Um, and that's where I went to school, by the way, University of Georgia. And, uh, yes, yeah, so of course there was Sweetwater in Georgia uh, and a couple others. And so I really just started getting into it, like, wow, you know, this is, this is something that's new and exciting. A lot of people know about it. Uh, I think I've always kind of been drawn to the underdog story, you know, in sports or anything. Um, so I, I really just, uh, I got into it and had no idea what I was getting into. Um, when I first um, found out about it, I really didn't have any desire to go into it on the production side. Uh, I really thought the marketability of craft beer and just how how they went about it was uh, so interesting more on a grassroots level than feeding through big advertisements. And that was also right at the same time when Facebook, all these social media outlets were starting. So um, I, I think I had a little bit of a vision into what social media could do for craft beer to really level the, the playing field. So what I did is I went to one of my professors in college and there was this deal at, 
at Georgia where you could just write a paper on anything and get credit for it as long as you had a professor that was willing to agree to meet with you a few times a semester to review it. So uh, uh, one of my professors agreed to let me write a, uh, a paper on the marketing of the craft beer industry. So I got four hours credit for basically doing a bunch of research in, in the school library and buying beer and testing my friends on craft beer and <laughs> doing some, you know, small, very, very low level marketing research. Um, and, and that just kind of stimulated me going farther. So uh, I did I love college, by the way. <laughs> I know, right? You can just you can do stuff like that. Um, you know, I got my dad to, uh, you know, I told him, hey, I don't need books this semester, but I do need beer money. It's actually for for school. <laughs> and I've got a note to prove it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, just paper, and um, and. Best story about my college career at commencement. So I, I didn't go to the big, huge, huge commencement in UGA because it's you know fifty thousand people inside of the stadium, um, and it was very hot. <laughs> so I skipped that one. Went to the indoor one. That was just our small college. So our um, uh, the head of our our college was giving a talk, and she the what you do at Georgia is you have an exit interview. Everybody goes through an exit interview. They kind of talk about what you're going to do after, after school. Um, so being my plans, uh, in craft beer are a little bit different. Uh, while she was giving her speech, she was talking about, you know, this, this many of you are planning on going to nursing school. This many of you are planning on masters and, and, and whatever. And then she goes, one of you is actually planning after school to take a month long, um, trip around Europe drinking beer and then coming home moving to Colorado to get into the craft beer industry <laughs> <laughs> so after she says this I mean there's I don't know five, five or ten thousand people inside of the place I get a, um, a minute to two minute long standing ovation <laughs> uh, it was hero. It, it was pretty pretty cool so um, so yeah, uh, graduated from Georgia, uh, did what she said for a month, just like drinking beer, um, kind of, uh, more discovery of not, not American craft beer, but kind of what traditional beer was and how, you know, yeah, how that influenced what we're doing over here. But, um, um, back, moved to Denver. <laughs> I had a couple of interviews, um, uh, that I lined up and I took in, you know, my marketing college research paper, which they, they gave two craps about, uh, um, and, uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I didn't know if I was going to brew wash kegs. I, I, I've done like six or seven homebrew batches at this point, but moved to Denver. I had a interview at great divide and an interview at wind Coop, uh, um, uh, decided on, on wind Coop and, uh, it was uh, you know really really cool place. If, if people don't know about Wincoop, it's the uh, it's the uh, oldest brew pub in Colorado. Sorry, nineteen eighty eight by the the current guy. Hey, Looper still the governor, right? So uh, that's a really the, good question. <laughs> sorry. Is he the governor? No. Uh, he he, he was. is or he was. I believe yeah. he's still the governor though. I don't but watch the news. Uh, sorry. <laughs> John Hickenlooper, uh, governor of Colorado. 
Um, he started Wincoop in 88 and it was, uh, kind of transformed the whole, whole downtown Denver, really, really historic place. So I was there for, um, for two years, um, and did anything and everything. I mean, really cool thing about the industry back then, there's, there weren't a lot of people in a craft room when I first got into it. So, um, seeing that whole, um, uh, all those years that I, I was there, I, I was there for two years. Then I went to brewing school, like, like you talked about the world brewing Academy. And then I went back to Wincoop. Uh, so I was there for four years and I really got to see how the industry transformed over those four years into something that was kind of niche and kind of fun, cool into, okay, people are really getting into this and it's becoming a little bit more of a viable business for, um, not us cause we were very established, but there were a lot of other breweries coming online at that point. Um, so, um, yeah, I did everything from brewing to delivering kegs around town in a van to washing, um, these ancient bung sided kegs that nobody uses anymore, um, to jumping inside of open fermenters and scraping out gunk with, a with a paint scraper. I mean, everything you could think of. Um, so, um, after four years there, uh, we, um, decided it was, it was, time to, to move on to something else. Um, we, we kind of had this idea to move uh, closer to parents when I started having kids. Um, and also I knew that the Texas craft or I felt like the Texas craft beer industry was going to start taking off at that point. Uh, there were some law changes coming up. There were a couple more breweries coming online. Um, so I, uh, went to Rar and Sons Brewing on Fort Worth. And I um, uh, started out as a brewer, SIF brewer, and worked my way out to uh, head brewer and then director of brewing operations. Um, and I was there for six years and saw a lot of change, saw that the industry went from 25 breweries when I got there in 2011 and then when I left. Six years after that, there were 175. Um, so just being at one of the oldest breweries in the state and seeing all these new breweries come up was, was really cool. Many years ago, I came down to, uh, Austin to take on the head room for this one at Cellus, uh, which is just a really, really interesting, um, uh, opportunity. Uh, Cellus was actually one of the original craft breweries in the country. I don't know if Matt, if you ever had Cellus White back at when it was the old brewery or, or heard of it back in the nineties. I, um, I did. I think I did actually. Yeah. So they, they distributed up in Colorado. They, they distributed in 30 states. Um, so they opened in 91 by uh, Pierre Sellis, the original uh, brewmaster and founder of Hogarden in Belgium. So most people know Hogarden White. Oh, yeah. Um, built, the Cellis, yeah built the Sellis Brewery and uh, grew it from uh, um, uh, until 2001. There was a point in there when Miller bought him out. And then in 2001, Miller decided that it was, uh, business was just not viable. Craft beer was not going to survive, which is interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's a re resurgence of, of the old sales brewery here in Austin. So a really, really cool thing to be a part of very historical, historical name. Definitely. Well, something yeah. you said when you were talking about uh, Wincoop, which is is still one of my favorite places to go in Denver, is you're scraping out gunk and you're delivering <laughs> and you're doing all this. And what 
I got, and again, I have known you, but it's coming out in this conversation. There's no ego there. Like you didn't come in and have this experience in your degree and go, okay, I'm now the head guy in charge. It's, I think there was a passion that you're just willing to do whatever it took because it's where you wanted to be. And it's something that you were excited and passionate about. And I think that's something that everybody needs to kind of remember what to do is come in and pick up a mop and work hard and chase your passion. Yeah. And it, you know, if you don't have a passion, excitement about the industry, um, you know, if you're just looking to, you know, make money, turn a buck real quick. That's, that's, you probably want to find a different industry for, for the first off. It's not the highest paying job you can find. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, if you, you know, learning by experience is the best learning. Uh, that's, that's everything that I've found. I mean, I, I learned a lot when I was in brewing school, but if you're not, if you're not applying the theory to practical work and then testing the theory too, I mean, a lot of times theory that works in one place doesn't even apply to the next place that you go. Um, so I mean, every, every single place that I've been so far, I've, I've worked at four different breweries. I mean, some things work really well at one place and the same things don't even translate to the next place you go to. <laughs> well, and it, I'll tell you this. Um, every time I hear somebody that they're from Dallas or Fort Worth, I mentioned Rar and Sons and the name is out there. It's amazing that I, I know people that I just have met that know you and just mm-hmm. looking at it from the outsider perspective, it seems like you're towing this massive wave of craft brewing wherever you go. And I, I yeah, you know, and one of the, I think probably the most interesting things about my career to this point has been every brewery I've been to has some long history to it. Um, you know, Wincoop obviously with the, you know, being the original brewery in Denver. Um, and then RAR, I mean, RAR, RAR was uh, the first craft brewery in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area. So it was open six years before. There was one other brewery over in Dallas, Francona. But, I mean, between the two of them, there was, they, they were the only breweries around for, for six or seven years before the next one popped up. And then, obviously, the next five years, there were about 40 openings. Uh, and then Cellus, too. I mean, it's uh, it was one of the original craft breweries in the country, even though now it's a new thing. But it's really neat to to be at those different levels um, of kind of historical breweries um, that have made an impact in the industry. Well, and there's something to be said for being first to market, but it also sounds like you've got a very educated perspective because you can be first, and if there's no market for whatever product right, yeah. you're in. Yeah you're still going to be screwed. So it sounds like you're very, and I mean this yeah. in the highest. Well, compliment. yeah, I mean, Fritz, so Fritz Rar, the owner of Rar, he, I mean, he shut down the place three times. <laughs> <laughs> so when you start, when you started the place up, uh, what is 14 years ago now, 2004, I mean, he tell me stories there. When he first started up, he'd walk into some of these bars and see if they wanted, some, you know, the new craft beer and he, they just, I mean, some people tell like yelled at him, told him to get out. You know? <laughs> we don't want any of that crap in here, kind of a thing. And now you walk into the same places that he, he tried to sell into. I mean, they have five taps and four of them are craft beer. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, yeah, there what there was no market. 
I mean, right. that, sure, there was there was a market for that that type of beer in Denver, or Portland, fifteen years ago. But you know, you go to places that that are just uh, slow to market. Um, or to transition, I mean, there was zero market. He was driving around kegs in his Jeep and seeing if anybody was willing to buy them. <laughs> well, I went to Austin 10 years ago and just took a, a non bicycle vacation. Just wanted to get out of Denver and had volunteered at the, it was like this Friday night run at Zilker park, like a big festival or something. Mm-hmm. I volunteered to pour beer. And so they had kegs and they had Lone Star. And I think, is it like blue paddle? What's the lightest beer that new Belgium ever made? It was like some blue. Yeah. blue. Paddle. Yeah. And so we're just pouring beers into clear plastic cups and setting them on the table and people would come up and be like, what the hell is this stuff? <laughs> and so <laughs> we floated like yeah. every keg of Lone Star. And I think because nobody was drinking that blue paddle, I think I floated a keg of blue paddle by myself. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, times have changed, man. Yeah. People are just, they want something that's just, uh, you know what, what I've really found is, uh, the, the beer that people drink the most is something that's just a little bit different, <laughs> you know, obviously the, the really fun stuff is the way out there, the barrel aging stuff, the huge IPAs and that's interesting. But the people that beer that people are drinking the most of are, you know, a beer like blue paddle. Well, and I, I just got back from two weeks in Belgium and loved every beer over there. And towards the end of that trip, I wanted nothing more than the the biggest, boldest, hoppiest IPA I could get my hands on just for kind of like a, a palate cleanser. Like the, all those Belgian beers are awesome. Like Hogarden and uh, we went to West Leveren, all these monastery breweries and loved every single one of them. And, but they were all sort of two or three degrees off of that center point for whatever makes a Belgian beer, a Belgian beer. You know that I don't, but it's like, man, I just want, some big ass IPA. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh that, that was a really interesting thing when, um, actually when I was in brewing school, uh, that we, the, the whole class we went through Belgium and then, uh, actually when your other favorite, Mike Oski, he, he came over for a week and I went through Belgium too. And it's, it's second interesting favorite. where <laughs> <laughs> second favorite. Yeah. Um, uh, in Germany, I mean, all, all, the beers are, you know, for the most part, good. Um, when and to style, they're they're awesome. But every every town, all the breweries make the exact same beer. They either make a Hellas their wheat beer, Dunkel. Uh, they don't really get get outside the box too much. They're, yeah. they're pretty set in their ways. Then you go to Belgium. I mean, they're all over the place. It's 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 uh, interesting how close those two countries are, and uh, but how far apart they are in uh, in brewing traditions. Did you have a favorite or do you have a favorite Belgian? Um, I mean, there is, I mean, there's one beer that just stands out and that, that's West Flattern, uh, West Flattern 12. Uh, mm. if, if you get a like rate beer, it's constantly rated the number one beer in the world. Um, it's just big quadruple and, and where most of those Belgian beers, you know, I get a lot of like, uh, dry fruit, raisin, uh, fruity characteristics from the yeast. Um, this has all of those, plus it also has like, the only way 
describe it as like sweet leather and tobacco, but in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> we had that. Yeah. We actually Great, yeah. went there. Just amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, we, yeah. Yeah. Me, me and the other, other Mikeowski went, um, we, we did a bike tour around Poper and, and, uh, uh, biked into there. Did they have the tasting room when you were over there? Or it seemed like they had this whole new big, almost not a the beer ca- hall. The cafe across the street. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We went in there. Okay. Okay. We were trying to figure yeah. out how, how new that was. So you've seen it. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about the, the social media side of things and I think mm-hmm. this happens to, to bands and to, a lot of consumer facing goods and I see it in the beer industry. Cause I remember when uh, 10 barrel came here to Denver and put in their, mm-hmm. their operations and their brewery and their restaurant and then whoever bought them. And there was this whole backlash on social mm-hmm. media about oh, selling out. And again, it's just like yeah. the record industry, right? Like, wouldn't you want mm-hmm something that you like to succeed. And maybe I just look at things differently. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's somebody trying to pay their bills, pursue their passion and make a difference. And I I just don't quite understand the negative perception of when a band makes it to like arena size level or a brewery gets purchased. That's sort of the, that's capitalism, I guess. A little. Yeah. I just don't understand. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword there for sure. And yeah, social media, is, you know, when, when these breweries get bought out, I mean, car box, uh, you know, I, we're being in the South, we don't see the 10 barrel stuff as much. So we see car box, wicked weed. Um, and there is major backlash on social media. You know, you get people that, the day the day they announce it, there, there's definitely a negative connotation with, uh, you know, you use the term selling out a lot in the industry. Um, and there's good and bad things about it. I mean, good, good for them. They're going to be able to use that money to grow the business, um, you know, whatever, whatever capital investment there is in, in the deal. You know, each one's different, but they'll be able to grow the business, business increase their distribution, uh, you know, hopefully pay the people, pay the employees that are on the ground floor um, uh, since day one. Hopefully they get some kind of payout from it too, uh, from their hard work. And the investors that have been in it from day one, hopefully, you know, maybe maybe they don't want to call this anymore and they get a payout from, from right now. Um, yeah. but, but there's also this negative too where okay uh now now these breweries are able to get their um their cost their ingredient costs down because they have more purchasing power through the whatever conglomerate they're with uh so they get grain and cans and hops for half price of what they were getting so now they're able to drop their keg price down to you know 20 bucks lower and still have the same profit margin while you're you're just uh, priced out all the other out of the market at a lot of bars you know some bars aren't going to care about 20 bucks but there's some bars that won't even think about the other beer um goose island's a, a big example of that i mean their, their price point on their ipa is just so much lower might have nothing to do with you know if the if the um, uh, consumers want that product they know that the the bar owner knows that he has to have an ipa and that's so he's going to go toward 
whatever the, the lowest price IPA is, which for a lot of times is going to be uh, Goose Island. So, which is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if everybody knows Goose Island, the Anheuser-Busch product. I no. like it. I still, I still drink it if I see it on and, and a lot of Goose Island's made at Budweiser facilities, you know, across the country. It's not necessarily made in Chicago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's good things about it for the individual company. Um, overall, um, you know, industry wide, um, it, you know, other breweries can, can definitely take a hit and, you know, um, you know, the craft brewers association, um, that's, uh, you know, Boulder based, um, um, association, they, they, they've really, um, put up a big fight up against, uh, the big breweries coming in and doing that now. Um, and some people agree with it. Some people don't. I can see both sides of it. Um, you know, there's both sides to everything. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I think I'm not going to delve into the, the world of internet trolls, but I'll just say that I, I think for just one theory is that these are people that don't really have like an entrepreneurial background where they're trying to get something off the ground and invest their money and they want it to succeed and they want it to grow. I think people that have always had a desk job and a salary and like punching a clock again, it's the internet who cares. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah. like if the product is tasty and you know, like goose islands never done anything to me or my family. It's like, I just don't, maybe I just yeah. think differently, but anyway. So, um, what would be, your dream beer. So this is going to be, you know, your signature. This is going to be how you're remembered. What would that be? What would that look like? Um, I've always, uh, you know, going to Berlin in, in Germany and also being at a, at a pretty German focus in Fort Worth. Uh, I always had a really, really big thing for really well-made beer. Uh, and, uh, you know, Unfortunately, with the equipment that a lot of craft breweries have, they try to make them, but um, a lot of times they don't come out nearly as good as what you can get in Munich. Uh, here's, um, would be uh, it would be German uh, German focused with uh, uh, a little bit of an American take on it. That's where it's uh, overpowering, like you get with a lot of a lot of craft beers that are coming out. That's just, you know, so much in your face, you know, <laughs> almost like a punch in the face sometimes with, with some of the flavors. So um, um, it would be a um, kind of a cross between a, an American IPA, um, but a little bit lighter hops and a uh, German Hefeweizen. Mm, that sounds really good. That sounds really yeah. good. I know it's not even 10 o'clock here in Denver, but <laughs> <I'm thinking laughs> instead of another cup of coffee, it might be, it might be beer 30. <laughs> but I mean, they're all fun though. I mean, and, you know, that's, that's the great thing about craft beer is that, you know, you do have to look at the business aspect of it. Um, there, you know, you got it margins, right. And what, what are your costs of cost of producing cost of goods? Uh, but at the same time, there's this whole artistic uh, part of it, and uh, uh, I've, I've, and I think that's you know, another reason why I just love the industry. It's a, uh, um, 
you're, you're kind of creating it as you go. So, you know, a little bit of a, a, yeah. a discovery, uh, artistic discovery factor there. Um, that, that's always been really neat. Well, I see that in the bike industry too. There's a mix of people. Everybody loves bikes and there's some people that are better business people than others. And that's where I think mm-hmm. you have to, if you're not good at it, you have to learn that side of it. And you, you talked about margins. You could make a, an amazing beer with a 2% profit margin, but it, you won't. Yeah. 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 Which would be fine. And, that, and that's where a lot of, a lot of times some of these craft brewers get into trouble, you know, guys that are just getting into the industry that may have some amazing homebrew recipes. And so they had, they start for brewery and their tap room is awesome. Everybody loves their beer. Um, but, uh, but when then they go to start canning it, they're like, wait, I'm not making any money. Well, you, you were using some really, really expensive ingredients when you were <laughs> just out of the tap room, which is fine because you're pushing it over the counter for five bucks a pour. But when you're selling a six pack to a distributor for $5 a six pack, you know, then, uh, things have to, you, you know, you either don't put that beer in a package that says tap room only, or you have to, uh, uh, you know, hit a price point, which a distributor may not like, or, uh, um, or you have to alter what the, what the, uh, ingredients are. So, yeah. uh, yeah, the game of, uh, of, of shelf space and be able to make money on that end is, is, uh, is, uh, really and, and brings in a lot more factors than, than your brew pub setting. Completely agree. So I know you got a hard out in about 10 minutes, but uh, maybe mm-hmm. the next few, what is uh, next on Craig Mykoski's beer horizon? Uh, beer horizon. Um, uh, yet to be seen. A lot, a lot of balls up in the air. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's one, it's one of those deals where you don't want to, don't want to put out too much until something happens because, uh, um, if it doesn't happen, everybody will be like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, you'll just keep, keep getting asked about it. So, uh, yeah, options are open. Um, love what I'm doing right now. It's, it's great to, uh, to, uh, be a part of, you know, a historical thing that, that we got going on, but, cool. uh, may not be the end dream. We'll see. Right. Well, with that, uh, yeah, we'll just wrap it up. I just want to say thanks for uh, making the time. And uh, all the listeners out there, if you're beer fans, follow uh, Craig Mykoski wherever he goes. Because like I said, he's going to be pulling a massive wake of beer and beer influence where wherever he's at and wherever he goes. So, um, Craig, the clean-shaven, good-smelling brewer, <laughs> I appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks for having me. You bet.